podcast has bad words. <laughs> Here we are with Ben Greenfield. We're talking about his new book, Boundless. Mm-hmm. We're answering a bunch of your questions. We're going to talk about how to live. Um, first, I want to do, we did the segment called More About Less, where we usually read some sort of article as a jump off point. But I thought, I was doing this last night. Uh, I was just flipping through Boundless. Uh-oh. And and you can pick a random page, and I just want to talk about a particular topic. So yeah, we'll be just careful with that, Mr. Milborn. <laughs> We're gonna find something here. I'll just. I love how you described. You started off with you know wanting to uh, extend people's lives, and then just how it led to one thing, which led to another thing, which mm-hmm. and yeah. So I, I hear what you're saying yes. about being careful because if we just read one thing, um, yeah, there's probably a million other things leading up to that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, certain, to a certain extent, I wrote it a little bit like a cookbook to where, you know, during these times, for example, you might be highly interested in the immunity chapter. You, know, mm-hmm. so you can go through that and just learn everything that you need to do to boost your immune system or at least regulate your immune system. Yeah, I was reading about um, gut health last night, berberine, yeah. and a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. So we got a couple options here. We can either do 10 tips for conquering the nap or we can talk about sex, tantra, orgasms, libido, Sexual satisfaction, well, sex and hormones. napping could technically be combined. <laughs> <laughs> Afternoon delight and a snooze. Yeah, just hopefully not at the same time. <laughs> Consent is important to me. <laughs> Here we go. Um, let's talk sex then. Tantra, okay. orgasms. Um, let's see here what the evidence says. How much sex is too much sex? Um, wow. Okay. Let's talk about this. Yeah. What, 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 and when we're talking about sex, what do we want to talk about, Ben? Well, there's a lot of directions that we could go with sex, and and honestly, um, you know, there there are very trite aspects that you could talk about, you know, such as, um, you know, releasing inhibition with like a like a microdose of intranasal ketamine combined with oxytocin for the enhanced trust component, and you know, the use the combination of certain supplements or or plant medicines with sex, mm-hmm. um, or uh, you could even talk about. And, and, and a big inspiration for that chapter came from a, about a five-month foray that I did for Men's Health Magazine in 2018, for which we wrote a story called New Year, New Dick in the January 2018 edition of Men's Health, which you could probably still find online, in which they, they sent me on this quest of everything a man could do to enhance sexual performance or size or libido. So we did, you know, we, we purchased all the gas station dick pills and lab tested those to see what was Whoa. in them and what the effects were, which, you know, this lar- is where you transform from immersive journalist to guinea right. pig, immersive journalist to <laughs> guinea pig, uh, you know, and then those were largely sildenafil and the active which component Viagra. of Viagra mm. and, and ephedra, you know, not any of the rare Chinese herbs or the horny goat weed that's advertised on the front. We're pretty uh-huh. much just talking about ephedra and sildenafil and you know sweating and jittery heart rates and you know yeah. everything else that accompanies mm-hmm. that uh, however, if you want, you know, the best pre-workout known to man, go buy a gas station dick pill because you know there's a reason that Viagra is banned by the World Anti-Doping Association. It's oh, such a wow. great blood flow precursor, and then you throw the ephedra in there, which is also <laughs> banned, and you've got a you've got a wonderful workout. Um, but you aren't going to fall asleep after sex. They they had me do injections, you know, like stem cell injections and platelet-rich plasma injections, and um, use you know fancy digital penis pumps and uh, there's another procedure called acoustic sound wave therapy which breaks open all the old blood vessels and allows you to build new blood vessels and there's now devices that are developing for consumers to use in their own homes you don't need to go to a doctor's office to use these type of things you know the list goes on and on of, of all the things out there 
Uh, and then uh, they they also had me delve into some of the more some of the more Eastern practices like uh, like tantra or reduced ejaculation frequency, mm. um, and uh, you know eye gazing during sex. You know some of these things to enhance the spiritual connectivity. And I think that when it comes to sex, that's probably one of the more important considerations. Is that it is a a very um, you know, it, it's it's almost like a a, a reverent act. It, it's one of those very special things for human beings to be able to connect, consciously connect mm. something that animals, for the most part, cannot do right. with a partner and be in a space with them in which you are you are not just physically intertwined; you are spiritually intertwined. And learning how to do things like deep eye gazing, tantric breath work. Um, uh, setting aside times where, where you're actually doing deep dives for two to four hours with your partner in that space, you know, sometimes introducing, uh, you know, medicines or, or supplements that allow you to to connect even more, you know, things like ketamine or oxytocin or, or you know, microdoses of MDMA or any of these things that, that allow for even more trust and heart openness. I'm not opposed to those type of activities as well, but I can tell you, you know, from a from a minimalist standpoint, when we're talking about not cluttering up the bedroom with all sorts of you know fancy vibrators and supplements and, and medicines and nasal sprays and all these things that you can do, tantric breathwork was probably one of the most profound things that I took out of that. Wow! Gaining the ability to be able to move energy via your breath from your root chakra right down around your genitalia in your crotch being able to gather that energy and in one breath move it all the way up to the crown chakra trap it in the crown chakra as you would do in kundalini breath work or uh, some forms of tumi breath work or you know even some forms of like wim hof breath work you're doing some of that breath trapping up mm. in the crown chakra and then when you need to exhaling and moving that energy back down towards the root chakra when you develop the ability to do that and you've practiced that during meditation sessions or during times outside of sex so it comes more natural when you when you're in the throes of sex so to speak mm. what happens is as a male for example you can ju just prior to orgasming rather than ejaculating you can take all that energy breathe it back up into your crown chakra hold it and experience an orgasm but not ejaculate wow. thus you get the same pleasurable sensations and then you keep going and you can do this you know three four five times and and every time that you do it it's like the energy builds up more and more and more and so when you finally do orgasm it's incredibly pleasurable and long experience and i i think of everything that i that i took from kind of that foray, that immersive journalism foray, it's the breath work that's allowed me and my wife, now that I've taught those same types of breath work to her, to be able to really connect during sex and use our breath in an intentional way. And one thing we even started doing now, and th th this sounds gimmicky and as though it might you know, suck some of the romance out of sex, is we'll do, for example, a couple of rounds of Wim Hof breath work, right? Hmm. Where you're actually really getting in touch with your breath and you're sitting cross-legged in bed facing each other. <sighs> Oh, 
and then you're holding the inhale for about 10 to 15 seconds then breathing the exhale out and you're kind of preparing the body to be connected to breath during sex and i think that that combination of breath uh, some amount of eye gazing, which really allows you to just peer into your partner's soul rather than just like, you know, staring at their body parts or closing your eyes or looking at the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it creates a, a really highly connected scenario and turns sex into a very, very spiritual mm-hmm. um, connected activity versus just, uh, you know, rubbing two bodies together in, in a form of mutual masturbation. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, that was really profound for me to discover the tie between breath work and sex. I think yeah. the 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 breath work thing you, you you said you know it can potentially get in the way of uh, of the moment or, or sort of ruin the moment. I think there are moments where it could, and so like if you if it was a precursor to every time you had to have intercourse, then obviously it would feel like an obligation. But if you really want to grow in terms of your relationship with your significant other. I think it's important to try these things that we haven't tried before. You know, my wife and I have, have been together you know, five years now and, and we're still trying to experiment with, mm-hmm. with new things because otherwise it is, as you said, it, it's just sort of rubbing two bodies together. Yeah. It starts to feel obligatory. Yeah. 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 And, and there are, there are also some, some really fascinating herbs out there or, or compounds. Um, ashwagandha is one. Ashwagandha is, is fabulous for sexual stamina and mm. libido. And, and so often when would you take that? Uh, my wife and I usually, because we have, we have kids, we have busy lives. So most of the time we know when we're going to have sex, like early in the day. And we're mm-hmm. kind of like priming. Not only will we, you know, I have a home office, so we'll stop during the day and I'll, I'll pat her on the butt or we'll have a quick kiss. We kind of build up mm-hmm. during the day. But usually, for example, like right after dinner, we have these big family dinners. We play cards, we play table games. We, we have these wonderful conversations. Family dinners are just a huge part of the Greenfield tradition. And then we we play a bunch of music together as a family and then we all do our journaling so at the beginning of the day we all gather as a family we meditate on the front porch we do a, about a five to ten minute meditation and we do uh, gratitude journaling mm. and we do service journaling meaning after we meditate we write down one person who we can pray for or help that day mm. and then uh, one person who we could uh, or, or one thing that we're grateful for right? one person we pray for or help one thing we're grateful for then in the evenings right before bed we'll do two other spiritual disciplines purpose and self-examination mm. uh, the first uh, what is one way that I lived out my life's purpose today Right, which allows you every single day to be cued into your life's purpose. And then after that, what good have I done this day? And what could I have done better this day? This is based on you know the old Jesuit practice they call examine. Uh, you know Benjamin Franklin, he has a whole journal about his self-examination process. And what it allows you to do is identify when you really rose to the occasion and felt really fulfilled and did something good that day. And then also where you feel, what, what you could have done uh, better. Um, you know, for example, no, that's not uh, in a judgmental way. No, not in a judgmental way, but to learn from your day areas where you may have failed, areas where you may have fallen short. And you think about how you could have tackled that. In a better, like last night, I, I did my journaling because we all use an app called Habitory, our whole family. So when I'm traveling, when the kids are traveling, when Jess is traveling, we all go in and, and we checkbox the little habits that we've built up, like meditation, journaling, prayer, reading the Bible, etc. So we all hold each other accountable. And you know, yesterday, I had a, I had a 7 p.m. dinner meeting and had a podcast beforehand. I did not really map out the journey from the podcast to the dinner, realized there was no cell phone reception when I started walking to dinner and walked in the complete wrong direction for like 20 minutes and showed up for dinner a half hour late. Mm. You know, And when I wrote down what could I have done better, and I, I just simply I could have 
planned ahead, mapped out everything, sent the Google map directions to my phone, mm. little things like that. You just I, you identify each day. Yeah. Anyways, though, uh, what my wife and I will usually do if we're going to take something like ashwagandha is about right after dinner, you know, 30 to 90 minutes prior seems okay. to be a good sweet spot. Okay. Another one that works really well is uh, if you can get like a really good beet powder, mm. uh, beets, just, you know, and, and it, it's going to act similar to, to Viagra or Cialis in terms wow. of it being a real opener. Yeah. But for both men and women, you know, it's great for increasing blood flow. Wow. Which, of course, increases the pleasurable sensation of sex. But beetroot, and I talk about you know, 12 or 13 different substances in the sex chapter of the book, but ashwagandha and beetroot are two that are pretty readily accessible that, that work really well. Would you take one or the other or both? I'll combine them. You can combine yeah. them, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, do, I'll just usually, um, I'll, I'll have my last glass of water just so I don't wake up in the night to pee, usually right after dinner, and mm. I'll just stir some stuff into the water if we're going to have sex. And awesome. Ashwagandha and beetroot are pretty good. Nice. Edda has a question here. She says, what daily rituals or practices make you feel most peaceful and what makes you feel the most alive? I just want to preface this real quick. Uh, ben, you did a, a, a Q&A episode recently. I think it was 415. Sean, if you could put a link to that in the show notes, bengreenfieldfitness.com slash 415. That sound mm -hmm. right? Yeah, bengreenfieldfitness.com slash 415. And if you check that out, because that way we won't have to rehash Ben's entire day, he, he talked about what a typical day is in his life now it's obviously it changes when you travel and there's never a exact perfect day but you went through the sort of a lot of the daily habits and rituals that you have and what's fascinating is that it's radically different from me uh, and i think it's radically different from what ryan would do and i think what you do would stress me out but it really fuels you it makes you feel the most alive to to answer Etta's question but can we maybe isolate one daily practice you already talked about sure. the the gratitude journaling and, and and let's talk about one thing that also makes one, you feel alive one for peace and one for energy mm. Let's do it. Um, okay, so for peace, uh, this is something I, I recently began adopting. I identified that when, especially in the morning, when I first jump into, you know, I, I have a pretty pretty good morning practice where you know I'm waking up, I'm doing journaling and meditation, usually do a sauna or a walk in the sunshine, kind of ease myself into the day. But by the time I finally do hit the email inbox around nine, inevitably, especially since I'm on the on the West Coast and you know all the all the people on the East Coast have sent a large amount of correspondence by then, mm -hmm. you know the email inbox gets gets a little heavy around nine a.m. Pacific yeah. time, and I realize I hold my breath a lot and I'm in kind of this stressed out mm. state when I'm going through and response and and. You know, I have some different apps that will measure your respiratory rate, like you know, I wear the the Aura Ring, and it'll do that. And um, there are there are a few other apps that you can use to kind of track your breath rate. And I, my my breath rate was incredibly low, but in a bad way because I was just holding my breath, almost mm. similar to sleep apnea, while I'm checking my email. Um. And so what I put on my computer was this uh, this coherent breathwork track. It's it's bells and whistles. There, there's a there's an author. Um, I'm blanking on his name now, but he wrote a book called uh, Coherence, and it's it's a breathwork book. Okay. He identifies in that book that what they've what they've actually in research found to be the sweet spot for increasing heart rate variability, for increasing vagal nerve tone, which is essential for proper balance between your your fight and flight sympathetic nervous system and your rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system, 
is about five and a half seconds in and five and a half seconds out. Mm. That's like the magical breathwork frequency for every human being, which is mm. fascinating. Mm. And in Do that, you hold it in for a certain amount of time. Like, no, is it, okay, no, you five don't. You don't. Right you don't hold it in. There are forms of breathwork that are very relaxing, like like box like, breathing, like box breathing yeah. exactly, where where you do hold it in for a four count in, four count hold, four count out, four count hold, and that works fine. But for this coherent breathwork. Uh, the the book when I read it had a link to a website where I could download an audio that I could play that is just like like a bell it's it's a it's a clock metronome with a bell every five and a half seconds mm. so now when I go down and I check my morning emails I put that little track on and it just goes ding clock 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 ding clock clock and in the background subconsciously I'm breathing to this track. And all of a sudden, when I finish around you know 9.30 going through all the morning emails, I'm incredibly relaxed. It's like I'm meditating while I'm replying to emails that would normally stress me out. And so, so that's kind of a new thing I've been doing that has allowed me to really be a lot more peaceful when I'm doing my morning emails. And then for energy, th- this is a little bit of a, of a hack, but... You know, for anyone who relies upon, you know, multiple cups of coffee or nicotine or anything else to just kind of keep them going during the day, all these stimulants that, as I described in the book, can eventually lead to some neurotransmitter imbalances, some dependency, Mm. some withdrawal symptoms, some disruption of sleep later on. Uh, There is a way that you can really just get yourself awake extremely quickly within about 60 seconds. So I have outside the door of my office a giant tub that's full of ice water. (laughs) I actually got a fancy one. It's made by this company called Morozco, and it maintains like 31 to 33 degrees Fahrenheit, even when it's 110 degrees outside. It's cleaned with ozone and UV, so I don't need to put chlorine in there. And this massive tub. Yeah, it's like a done-for-you cold plunge. And about every hour and a half or two, especially during the afternoon when you get a little bit of that brain fog and tiredness setting in, I don't strip down and and jump in, but I I walk outside, I take off my shirt, and I just plunge my entire upper body into this cold tub with my nose plugged. I reach around, plug my nose, come up out of it, do it once, and go through that five times, and I am wide awake for like the next (laughs) two hours. And it feels fantastic. And I I like that I don't have to put a bunch of substances into my system or be dependent on anything except getting cold. And of course, there's a variety of benefits that go beyond just the wakefulness. You know, you build new blood vessels and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's wonderful for brain inflammation and, and, uh, you know, even fat loss when your body's warming itself after the cold exposure. Now, I saw in your book, you could actually do that with like a... um, cooler of sorts if you want the the poor man's I've version got instructions in the book for doing it with a cheap ass freezer from home depot or lowe's or whatever okay and usually for that you use just food grade hydrogen peroxide put a few tablespoons of that in there and you still don't have to you know dump massive amounts of chlorine in mm-hmm. so and then you just put ice in there and you, you keep it closed and every couple of days you know dump another bag of ice in but this idea of just using ice water throughout the day for energy mm-hmm. or even you can even just splash it on your face if you're lazy yeah. and uh, it's 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 incredible for waking yeah. you up yeah for sure wow. now on that episode that we referenced uh, 415 uh, the Q&A you talked about some some tools that you use so I wanted to just talk about some of these because you didn't really go into detail for lack of time on on that episode and as a minimalist, I, I, I get rather skeptical around the introduction of tools 
to solve problems in my life, but you're the one person I look toward who, who um, uses tools effectively, but also you're willing to let go of them if they're not working for you or if they're no longer serving a purpose. So here are a few of the tools you mentioned in that episode. Uh, there's something called New Calm, and I looked this up, and it was fascinating to me. Tell me about this New Calm. Uh, I was very skeptical of this device because let's start here. It's $5,000. Oh, oh, my God. It's $5,000, and... It is, uh, you, you order it, and what you do is, is when you order it, A, you get access to their app, which is a bunch of audio tracks, which, of course, right off the bat made me skeptical because I can use Brain FM or Sleepstream or any other number of these relatively mm-hmm. free or very inexpensive meditation or breath work or relaxation apps. Why pay $5,000 for an app? But then it also comes with, um, you kind of have two options. There's like a vagal nerve stimulator, these little electrodes that go on either side of your head, or this little disc that you put on an acupressure point on your on your left arm. Yeah. Okay, so you've got that plus the audio tracks, and then you just have a really good wraparound sleep mask. I use one called the, um, uh, it's called the silent mode sleep mask. It's like a cocoon for your entire mm. face with little speakers built into either side of that cocoon. Mm. And I began to use it. The, the sales pitch is that within 20 minutes, you can achieve like a 90-minute sleep cycle for a power nap on steroids. And wow. furthermore, there are other tracks that if you wake up early in the morning, will lull you back into sleep. Uh, there are other tracks that you can use just to enter a deep theta state of meditation where you're just like disconnected from your body. And, you know, after 50 minutes, you got drool coming out the corner of your mouth and you kind of don't know what happened. But, you know, all you know is you turn it on at one and now it's 150 and you feel amazing. So I began to use it and was actually, d- despite the price point, I was shocked at how effective it was. It actually worked wow. as advertised. It is still something I use every single for me, time is money. And if I can if I can get a full 90 minute nap in 20 minutes and feel incredibly refreshed afterwards, if I can wake up at 4:30 a.m. and be like, oh, I was not gonna get up now. I've got a very long day ahead of me. And I hit that Delta sleep track and stay in bed an extra 50 minutes and get this this enormous surge of energy when I wake up because mm-hmm. I've just lulled myself back to sleep. The thing freaking works. Wow. Um, is something about the audio tracks that they use are far different. You know, it's a combination of binaural beats and these. It's it's very difficult to describe, but despite me having used it probably over 300 times now, every time I turn on the audio track, I still can't figure out what the music is doing. I still can't. Like, I've tried to just decode it and say, okay, so next the violin's going to kick in or there's going to be a piano here or whatever, but it still somehow confuses my brain and... I feel a, like a little bit of a dummy, Be, you know, being an exercise physiologist and, and a biomechanist and a guy who studied up on a lot of this stuff. I still have yet to wrap my head around how they engineered these audio frequencies to shift your brainwave states yeah. that quickly and that intensively, but it freaking works. So I'm I'm rolling with it. Yeah, it yeah. sounds really gimmicky to be like, you can get a 90 minute nap in 20 minutes, um, and you're the only person I would like trust to. To, 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 it does. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, every time that I use it, it seems to become more effective. Mm. And this is based on a process of called entrainment, where, you, where your brain just becomes a little bit more efficient at, at the cues that are built into the tracks. Um, so, yeah. And I, I, I'm not an investor in the company or anything like that, yeah. but but it literally is. It's a it's in my bag right now. Like it's awesome. a daily for me. And and let's just be clear. You don't need $5,000 to take a nap. Um, <laughs> no, right. <laughs> and, and I think... So if we're simplifying this, you know, do, doing this sort of um, 
what's the lowest cost solution? It's to, to take a nap or it's to wear some sort of sleep mask if it's too bright during the day. Right. Uh, the, the, you, 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 you could use like a like a, a cheap hack. You could download one of the better apps out there. I, I like one, like I mentioned, there's one called Brain FM. Mm-hmm. I was using that uh, last night. There's another one. one called Sleep Stream, which is kind of like a DJ for sleep. You can play white noise, pink noise, piano tracks, meditation tracks, etc. Mm-hmm. You get a really good sleep mask, uh, like the like the Mindfold is a good one. The other one that I mentioned earlier, the Silent Mode is a good one. Mm-hmm. Some good noise noise blocking headphones mm-hmm. and then you you lay back you put on the track and you do four eight breathing four count in eight count out four count in eight count out and usually after about four to five minutes of focused four eight breathing with those tracks on you'll lull yourself into a relaxed state and then you simply lay there another very similar method is called yoga nidra you can download yoga nidra tracks off of youtube and you know convert those to mp3 toss them on your phone so it's always you know i my phone's always offline you know airplane mode whenever i'm relaxing uh and these yoga nidra tracks also uh simulate what a sleep cycle would do for you but in a shorter period of time and and it's kind of like progressive neuromuscular relaxation where you're you know tightening and releasing certain body parts or becoming aware of certain body parts and then causing them to become heavy it's it's very similar like Mm -hmm. Mm self-hypnosis but that's another you know relatively free or inexpensive way to get similar results even though again i I haven't found anything that kind of touches what that Mm -hmm. new calm does yeah wow it's funny it's funny you bring up the breathing because that's how I get to sleep at night. If I'm having trouble is I'll, I'll just take those deep breaths. Mm-hmm. And the, the way I got to that is I just remember laying there one night and I'm like, man, I, I know when I'm getting ready to get into a real nice deep sleep is because my breathing starts to like widen up. It starts mm-hmm. to get deeper. And then, yeah, I just sit there and do deep breathing and, uh, yeah. yeah, nine times out of 10, it'll get me to sleep faster. There, there's a lot of things that I talk about in the sleep chapter of the book for, for enhancing sleep. But in addition to the breath work, core temperature is incredibly important. Not only sleeping in a cold room, not wearing too many clothes while you're asleep, keeping the, the air temperature in the room, preferably between somewhere around 63 to 66 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are, there are other ways you can cool the body that are not that expensive. For example, wool socks. They did one study that showed that just wearing socks to bed, because what happens is your your feet stay warm, but the rest of your body stays cool. When you have mm. these these wool socks, it causes the blood flow to distribute in such a matter that the rest of your body stays cool. It decreased sleep latency, meaning the amount of time that it would take for you to fall asleep by up to 30%, which wow. is pretty significant. Yeah. And that's because of the drop in core temperature from wearing socks, very little other clothing, but just socks to bed. Mm. Another hack... And, and this is wonderful for for enhancing sleep, but also repair amino acid bioavailability, et cetera. There is uh, an amino acid uh, called glycine, and glycine is often included in some sleep supplements. You can you can buy it. Uh, uh, Thorn is where I get my glycine. But if you take about four milligrams of glycine before bed, not only does it cause this kind of slow bleed of energy that helps you to fall asleep. I'm sorry, it's four grams of glycine. Uh, But glycine has been shown to decrease the body's core temperature while you Mm -hmm. are asleep. And another way that you can do this is you can have a cup of bone broth, for example, after dinner. Uh, There's also a trick where you can make nighttime jello. And I do this. I'll take uh, a good gelatin, like, you know, the Great Lakes gelatin, organic gelatin you can get on Amazon. And I'll mix that with some coconut water that that I'll heat up or just a little bit of coconut milk or or anything that will allow that gelatin to thicken. And you stir it in a little stovetop. 
and then you pour it into a mold. Like I just use this giant baking sheet or baking pan mold. And then you can add a little stevia, a little sea salt, anything you want for flavor. Put that in the fridge, let it set. And I'll cut myself out a little square of that before I go to sleep. And gelatin has very high glycine content in it as well. Wow. And as a guy who, who I have a high metabolism, and I'll wake up at like 1 or 2 a.m. hungry a lot of times. Oh, wow. But if I have that square of, of gelatin jello before I go to bed, I'm getting the glycine, the drop in core temperature, the slow bleed of energy, the repair. So that's another, it's, it's cheap to make your own jello. So mm-hmm. that's another little hack that yeah. you can use for sleep. Way less than five thousand dollars. Yes, <laughs> I, I went to Ryan's once. He had five thousand dollars worth of Jello. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was the little Jello cups, yeah, right, with the, right, with right. the gold flakes. Yeah, <laughs> the Jello cups. Tell me about uh, the Apollo device. The Apollo is is interesting. That is a device that was developed by by a MAPS researcher, you know, Foundation for Psychedelic Research. He wanted to see if you could elicit the same neurotransmitter and brainwave response using sound wave cues versus using, say, you know, psilocybin or LSD oh, wow. or something like that. Out of everything and, you mentioned in that episode, that, that for whatever reason, this one stood out the most to me. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and so it's it a like small, a small band that can be worn on the wrist or the ankle. And it elicits this inaudible sound wave that travels up the long bone of whatever limb that you place it on, Hmm. sending a a signal to your brain to go into whatever state that you've set the Apollo app to go into. So it could be energy, meditation, relaxation or napping, a night of sleep, etc. And it shifts you into this brainwave state that matches what you've selected on the app. I've found it to be most useful for sleep. So I put it on my, I like it on my ankle before I go to bed and I just put it in sleep mode, press play. Like uh, like the ring that I wear or any other you know technology hack that I use, I'll only use something if it can be placed in airplane mode. I just don't like to bombard my body with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi while I'm asleep or, or any other time really. So I put it on, put it in airplane mode and let it run. And I also use it for some of those naps. I find it combines really well with that, that new calm. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing is I, I had this, this researcher, his name is David Rabin. He came to my house and wanted to demonstrate the device to me. So I pulled up on, on the Aura Ring the moment function, which can track real-time HRV. Mm-hmm. I didn't meditate. I didn't change my breathwork patterns. I did nothing but put this device on, and my HRV went through the roof almost wow. instantly. Wow. And I've repeated that multiple times, so I, I don't think it's a placebo effect. And the thing can just shift you into this state of relaxation or sleep or energy. I have used it in combination with plant medicine, and it enhances the effects of any type of plant medicine or psychedelic that you might combine it with, wow. which is super interesting. Uh, you How can, noticeable is it in the uh, moment? And, uh, it, very noticeable. Okay. It has a social mode. It has a social mode. <laughs> that I swear makes you feel as though you're on MDMA when you go to a dinner party or a party and you have it around your ankle and the whole time it literally feels like like you've you've popped some E I mean it's it's nuts so and it's all done using sound waves so it's called the it's made by a company called Apollo Neuroscience um fascinating device my only complaint about it is it has pretty low battery life so it drains pretty quickly you know, use it for for two or three hours and then you're gonna have to recharge it but uh yeah it's a, it's a cool little device wow. the apollo huh cool okay well we'll put a link to the episode that you did in the show notes so people can check out links to everything we talked about um we've got a bunch of questions here i think we might as well dive into those mm-hmm. Martin has a question for us ryan how do i stop optimizing from becoming the goal in and out of itself. So how do I stop optimizing from becoming the goal in and out of itself? Optimizing for the sake of optimization. 
it's easy to get trapped in, especially in Western culture. We're all, we're all about productivity and Mm -hmm. optimizing and efficiency. Right. And and what he's saying here is optimizing for the sake of optimizing. That becomes the problem. Now, I thought this was a perfect question for Ben because he does optimize uh, a lot of things and he's very productive. I'm, I am in many instances, Mm -hmm. anti-productivity, meaning that like, I don't do much, but the few things I focus on, I just, I, I focus on those. I just don't have the, the mental bandwidth to, to do a bunch of different things. It really stresses me out, makes me anxious. But for whatever reason, Ben, you, you can fill your day with a bunch of intentional tasks. You can optimize your day. You use some tools uh, in order to do so. But that never seems to me like you're optimizing for the sake of optimizing. Well, look, we can all try to be uh, 130 years old, but if you spent you know, whatever, three hours a day attempting to be 130 years old by laying in hyperbaric chambers and doing breath work and Mm. meditating and taking 20 minutes to make an anti-aging smoothie. You've spent a lot of those extra years just trying to live a long time Mm. and wasted much of your life that might have impacted the world a little bit more meaningfully. So I do often step back and ask myself, you know, is this something that I'm doing, you know, as part of that hypnotic trance, as part of that ritual or habit or routine that I'm simply doing because it's become built into my routine without purpose, or is this something that's truly going to help me love others with my purpose in life? And, you know, for me, I'm, you know, getting a 20 minute power nap so that I can be more productive during the rest of the day. That certainly would fall into that category. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are, you know, there, there are other forms of optimization that I think can just turn into, you know, selfish time consuming tasks, like, you know, whatever, doing sauna and ice for, for 90 minutes every night when you could just take a quick five minute hot, cold contrast shower or, you know, spending 20 minutes making some fantastic superfood smoothie when you probably just could have put some adaptogens into your coffee and, and gone off and, and gotten most of the effects and been able to help the world out a little bit better with, with writing or with work or whatever it is that, that you're, that you're doing. So, I, I often step back and ask myself, you know, is the time investment that's going into this particular protocol or this particular form of optimization really worth the amount of time that yeah. it's actually taking? And I'll generally choose things that allow me to, uh, in, a, in a certain way, multitask. You know, for example, while I'm checking my emails in the morning, I've got a little bit of red light therapy going in the office. So I've got the red light on my body. I've usually got some kind of like a respirator or oxygen mask on, or I'm breathing some type of essential oil. I've got the coherent breathwork track on that I was talking about. I'm usually standing on some kind of mat that does you know therapy on my feet, like an acupressure mat or a topo mat that I can roll my feet on. And so I'm productive the whole time that I'm using these things that are also helping my body to feel better. I'll often But they're do, not getting in the way of what They're not getting doing. in the way. I'll do many podcast interviews or phone calls while I'm walking on a manual treadmill or outdoors in the sunshine. I walk five to seven miles a day, mm-hmm. but the entire time I'm being productive, you know, while at the same time I'm, I'm getting my movement in for mm-hmm. the day. Uh, and, and so, you know, m- m- many, many habits can be stacked and paired with periods of productivity so you aren't wasting your time optimizing you're optimizing while you're being productive it sounds to me like what you're saying is don't let optimizing get in the way of living right and and i think that's that's the heart of of martin's question here is if we're constantly trying to optimize everything we're probably not even living the life we want to live yeah Uh, yeah i would just ask myself you know every time you're looking at you know optimizing something you've got to ask like what is this really getting me why yeah 
Yeah. Mel has a question for us. How can I ensure my children experience a diverse range of activities without rushing about all the time? This is a common question. You know, so this question manifests in different ways for different parents, but it's a common concern among parents is like, I want my kids to do everything and have access to everything. But in order to do so, they and I, by proxy, am going to be rushing about, as, as Mel says. Mm -hmm. Now, you approach things a bit differently. You unschool your twin boys, that's right? I unschool, which I, I was homeschooled, K through 12, and unschooling, in contrast to homeschooling, involves less structure. Unschooling is basically a process of identifying what your child's passions and interests are and then surrounding them with as many books and games and activities and museum tickets and tutors and anything else that allows them to pursue those interests and passions, but in kind of a freewheeling sort of way. You know, homeschooling, you're typically have having, you know, a, a set of curriculum and books and, you know, traditional scenario, you're gathered around the kitchen table with, with mom and dad and, you know, going through your books and it's essentially just similar to traditional school yeah, classroom in your house but at home classroom in your house now let me ask you with your two boys is it easier easier is the wrong word is it better for them because you have two kids who are roughly the same age is it better that you have that than if it were just one kid that you were unschooling well, tough for me to say because i've only ever had twins but mm -hmm. i can tell you that the fact that they keep each other entertained they compete with each other they they banter back and forth as they're doing their unschooling during the day mm -hmm. if if they were, if we had one child, it's very likely that I would just turn my home into a co-op and have you know three or four other kids over whose parents were unschooling, and we just like shift kids from house to house or environment to environment each day so that they had other kids around. Mm. But you know the fact that that the twins have each other does, I think, make things a little bit easier, yeah. and they get along well. Uh, and you know the the unschooling scenario works pretty well there are certain things that they don't know that are going to serve them later on in life you know i i think that every child should have a a kind of a set base foundation of five different skills that they're good at reading writing arithmetic some type of programming or logic and some type of rhetoric or persuasion mm -hmm. i think those five skills serve a child or a human being in any sector that they might go into whether yeah. it be engineering or medicine or arts or or law or anything like mm -hmm. that reading writing arithmetic logic and rhetoric you know mm -hmm. kind of the, the five foundational principles of a classical education now because of that you know for example they have a they go to a, a, an online math school called mathnasium where a few times a week they actually are in an hour with the tutor and have homework afterwards they don't wake up in the morning and say dad i'm just super interested in geometry today i've decided i have a passion for geometry mm -hmm. yet when they built a tree fort last summer and we had a contractor over and you know they were learning woodworking skills and how to calculate square footage and area and you know and and cut beams and cut walls and and figure out how much material they'd need for the roof they were using those skills and you'll run into scenarios even with unschooling where there are certain things that you want to teach your children that they might not be asking to be taught but that are important to weave into the curriculum mm -hmm. now to get to the thrust of this question we, we live in a society where there is almost a great deal of pride taken in or it's considered noble or laudable for your kid to be in jiu-jitsu, soccer, tennis, art, two different music lessons. Your job as a full-time chauffeur is to mm -hmm. drive them to all these activities. Things are heavily scheduled 
And then there's also the fact that due to social media, we, we got to, you know, also program in the trips to Mexico and the trip to the coast and all these cool vacations that we got to get the kids on so they can see the world. I have found over 12 years of parenting that children are just as happy playing cards at the dinner table at night after the whole family having pitched in to make dinner together, mm. going on a hike at a park that's five miles away. You know, going going camping at another park that might be ten miles away instead of driving a hundred miles to the coast, and hanging out with dad and mom at you know on a on a long bike ride or um you know or or just um you know doing doing like a a home staycation where you just decide to take everything off for a couple of days and just play outside and play basketball and go down to the tennis courts in the neighborhood etc versus traveling the world being in all these courses heavily scheduled driving everywhere um kids are pretty darn happy if they're with their parent and their parent is fully present and there's love present in that home and there's so much to experience in your own backyard in your own city yet we have this FOMO we have this grass is always greener syndrome and we want our kids to be able to just experience everything that there is to experience when in fact I think the very best thing you can do as a parent is to create a safe and loving environment that's also you know fun and full of things that fuel your child's passions and interests right in your own house and uh, you know, children grow up super happy when they have that to rely upon. They feel safe and loved. Mm. And if you also do things like weaving in traditions, family dinners, morning meditations, evening song time, that Wednesday night tennis with the whole family and those Saturday hikes and your kids grow up and look back and have memories of all these traditions and furthermore, weave them into their own families, right? I, I have this philosophy that I'm not... I'm not raising my children, I'm raising my children's children. Mm. Right? So when I whip out my smartphone at the dinner table and start sending off a couple of texts because I forgot to do this or that or I gotta check this quick email, that's exactly what my kids are gonna be doing with their kids at the dinner table yeah. and what their children's children are going to be doing at the dinner table. And that'll be part of the Greenfield legacy is you check your phone at dinner. Mm. But if the Greenfield legacy is, you know, we we don't have phones at dinner and these are the like the five card games that we love to play. Who gets to pick the card game? Okay, who won at tennis last night? All right. You you get to pick the card you know you you create these traditions that really help to help to stack and build a legacy that is healthy and you know really i think the most important thing you can do is just realize that kids don't need these fancy built out expensive schedules they just want to have a caretaker a parent who's fully present with mm -hmm. them in a safe and loving scenario with tradition with legacy built in and and i think that's the very best thing you can do for a child what i'm hearing you say is as a parent you set the example for your children. You're not just throwing them into, okay, I'm dropping you off at soccer now, like have fun playing soccer. It's about what kind of experiences can you create with your kids? And I agree. I think that's probably the best way to get your kids active is, uh, you know, your kids, they don't do what you say they should do. They do what you do. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Exactly. You know, in our house, books are highly prized. And when there's downtime in our house, usually someone has a musical instrument or a book. We have a giant TV downstairs and it's on for maybe an hour a month. Mm -hmm. Rarely is it because it's just in the Greenfield house, there is no, when there's downtime, we don't go to video games. We don't go to television. We don't go to entertainment. Usually it's books or musical instruments or, or you know, card games or table games. Mm -hmm. And so our, our kids are used to that. But if I had downtime and I was watching Netflix or I did have a favorite video game like League of Legends or, or whatever and I... 
instead of picking up a musical instrument, you know, picked up a, a video game console, that's what my kids are, are going to do. Even if I tell them, you know, oh, you got, you know, half hour screen time, whatever, they're going to pay more attention to what I'm doing rather than what a rule of the house might be. So we really don't have that many rules in our house. There is no, you know, you can't eat gluten and you only get a half hour of screen time and you must go to bed at a certain amount of time. Dad and mom are in bed by 10 p.m. and Therefore, you know, the kids aren't, they want to stay up, they can, but you know, they, they see when we go to bed, they usually go to bed around the same time. They see that dad picks up a book when there's downtime. So they grab a book, mm. you know, they're, they're not used to the TV on every day. It's just not a thing. And so that's just normalcy for them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So if I were to sum this up for you, Mel, if you want to be a good parent, create traditions, not tasks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Mel is really worried about here is yeah. my kids and society is imposing all of these tasks on us, but do they help aid the traditions you're trying to create? Kat has a question for us. What are your thoughts on healing practices like Reiki, acupuncture, and hypnosis? What other non-traditional practices might you recommend? Yeah, for me, I've always thought these things, I, I've been allergic to woo-woo. Ryan is the woo <laughs> the woo half of the minimalists. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm a little bit more woo-woo-y, but, yeah, it, but like Reiki, I've never tried because... Mm-hmm. Because of the woo-woo. But here's what I'll tell you. So, so Bex and I, we were in Sedona. We went to this this place last year. And part of it, you got these uh, included in the package of the place we were staying. You, you got these services, right? And, and you got to pick whichever ones you wanted. And she picked Reiki for one of them. And I tell you, within the first few minutes, she was bawling All her right. eyes out. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, I, and she's like me. She's not into the woo-woo stuff at all. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's something to it. Well, we, we know that the human body does produce an energy field. You know, your, your, your heart's electrical field emanates like 15 feet out from your body. Your, mm. your brain's about five oh, feet wow. out. So if you're, if you're stressed out, people can actually pick up on the electrical field. They've even seen that like jockeys, when they walk into a horse stable with the horse that they're familiar with, their, their heart rate variability actually tends to align because they're picking up each other's electromagnetic signals. If wow. you're lying, with your partner in bed at night a lot of times you can sense something's kind of off uh, or that they they might be pissed off about something they might be upset and you roll over and you see that they're rolled over away from you eyes open staring at the wall and it's because you're picking up a little bit of that heart's electromagnetic rhythm you know their their heart rate variability can actually emanate this is why a lot of times you'll see in a room where you tell everybody to start to, you know, do coherent breath work or close their eyes and think of something they're grateful for, this feeling of calm and peace almost mm-hmm. washes over the entire room because we can feel each other's energy fields. And when a hand, you know, such as during Reiki becomes very close to your body but doesn't touch you, you can feel a little bit of that field emanating from a hand. You feel a little bit of that warmth. You yeah. feel a little bit of that energy. Uh, this is what uh, acupuncture or acupressure is based upon, these, these energetic fields that travel through the body. This is what you know the tantric breath work or the movement of energy up and down chakras is based upon this fact that as you move breath through the body there's actually a flow of electrons that fluctuates through the body hmm. that you can actually identify and and the body even emits light like you can hmm. you can use something called um I believe it's called a gas discharge visualization cameras to actually look at the light that the human body emanates we create infrared light we produce light you can see when someone's in a different emotional state they actually emit less light so our red might be picking up on the amount of light that someone is producing. Mm. There's there's many factors that science has yet to fully study when it comes to the invisible signals that are yet you know physical signals mm. that can actually be felt or detected by another person. We know that we can detect you know when it comes to something like sound. You know there are people who do 
healing therapies with didgeridoos and tuning forks and, and, you know, hang pans or hand drums that actually vibrate. We were talking about the Apollo device that, you know, that you wear. That's a, that's a sound that's actually eliciting a neurotransmitter release and shift in brainwave state. Mm. And the body actually re- responds to sound, you know, ultrasound can be used to, to break up, you know, kidney stones, the electro, yeah. you know, acoustic therapy we're talking about for sexual enhancement can be used to break up blood vessels, you know? Mm. So once the sound becomes very powerful, you, you can see distinct, uh, biological responses that are used in medicine. Wow. Uh, and, you know, we, we've also seen shifts in brainwave states from listening to certain tracks of music that are turned tuned in certain ways. There's a and, reason and there's that, no question about that. Even when you just listen to an album that has, you give you a particular feeling, it can change your state like that. Yeah. Right. And, and we may not be able to quantify that with science yet. Um, but, but it doesn't mean that there aren't, there aren't lessons that we can tweeze out of that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, sometimes scientism tends to paint us into a corner where we say, well, if this can't be proven by a long-term human clinical research study that's double-blinded, then it's simply not something that's going to be efficacious. Right. Yet, if you look at, you know, anecdotes or, you know, not, not that, that just because something has existed for a long period of time means that it's, that it's provable or efficacious. But if you look at something that's been used for, you know, thousands of years in Chinese traditional medicine, such as, say, acupuncture yeah. or uh, focusing on the release of, of bitterness and anger and hatred, which is associated with bone cancer, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's something to be said for this whole idea that, you know, Bruce Lipton talks about in his book, Biology of Belief, or that Dawson Church speaks about in his book, Mind to Matter, or Joe Dispenza talks about in his book, Supernatural. There are things that we cannot directly feel or measure, yet we can still sense them and we can still demonstrate, you know, such as sound medicine, music, acupuncture, acupressure, etc. There is a biological response. Same time, if I break my arm, I want an allopathically trained physician who is working on that arm, who's setting the fracture, who's taking care of, of any bacterial infection, et cetera. I'm not going to hold a tuning fork up to a broken arm. <laughs> right. But I, I think there are definite use cases for some of these things that might be borrowed from Eastern medicine or Ayurvedic medicine that are still considered woo in, in a largely you know westernized scientific medical setting but that still do deliver some value i'm not close-minded to those type of things i think i think my I'm allergy try reiki <laughs> i think my allergy to the whole thing is there are a lot of charlatans and hucksters yeah. out there yeah. and oh the, and, the and classic it's, yeah the you got a health expo and someone leaps out and tells you put on this bracelet and it's going to change your balance forever and and you know you're also going to make a million dollars and you know sleep 10 hours a night and many of those things don't have a lot of science you know they they, they are they are gimmicks one well, is so much easier to be to be a huckster in those areas because of the lack of of science the, the lack of binary and, and therefore that space tends to be cluttered with a, a lot of people who are working really hard to not add value but still extract money from your checking account right right but you know uh, heck like i'm i'm a christian and by definition of that you know I believe the, that the entire universe was created by a wizard up in the sky in, right. in, in six days and that a, a God man came down from heaven 2000 years ago and died on a cross and shed blood so that we could, you know, cast all of our, our shame and sin upon that figure and that we will go on and live in eternal bliss in a heavenly state surrounded by angels and spirits. You don't get much more woo than that. Yeah. Right. And, right. and, and also there's a lot 
lot of hucksters in Christianity, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We just did a, a podcast with the Preachers and Sneakers Guide. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he runs this Instagram so account um, where he just sort of calls out, uh, not calls out, but but brings to light some of the people who are you know, participating in the sort of prosperity gospel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's really unfortunate because many of the best people I know are religious people. They could be Christian, they could be Buddhist, they could be Mormon, um, uh, which is a form of Christianity. And, and so no matter where, where, where you are on that spectrum, I think what happens is there are people who come in and they take advantage of Absolutely. the kindness. You can buy yeah. trinkets at the Vatican, at the <laughs> gift store, that oh. have been blessed by the Pope, that oh are going to give you good luck or whatnot for the rest of your life. <laughs> what they do? Bring her in a and, crate, and he just sits over the right, crate. And right, like, yeah. exactly. Just the fact that they're in the Vatican dictates they've been blessed, and you can go oh, go and wow. buy them and go through the gift store on your way out of the Vatican. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's horrific. I think it's a yeah. whole bastardization of, of religion. Yet, for me... This belief is of you know faith, this belief in so-called magic, things that might not be able to be explainable, the existence of a spirit world, the existence of an afterlife, things that I cannot prove through science, I still believe in. And ha- you know, I grew up with J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and elves and fairies and magic and dragons, and I would much rather live in a world where there is magic. There are miraculous things that are unexplainable than live on a giant chunk of rock floating through the planet with a bunch of random pieces of flesh and blood on it trying to figure out who's going to have the most sex makes them make the most babies have the nicest cars have the biggest home make the most money die get buried in the ground game over Mm -hmm. right and and i don't mind having a little bit of magic in my life having Mm -hmm. a few things that i simply have faith in that might not be able to be explained by science you know i've got some different faith things that I really don't talk about because uh, they're mine, like honestly, because I come from a Jehovah's Witness background, which is like a really strict Christ- Christian background. I don't exactly hold those beliefs, but uh, the beliefs I do have, I kind of look at like, you know, uh, it's fun to believe. Like it really does kind of help. Um, th- there is something about it that really helps me get through the day. What I love about what you do, Ben, is you're Christian, but you can integrate this, you know, woo-woo-y stuff into your life where as a Jehovah's Witness, uh, I was taught that all the woo-woo-y stuff, the chakras... Mm-hmm. Uh, heretical. Yeah, heretical. Not only that, but like demon-influenced. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's actually been hard well, they, for me... They, they can be. To, I mean, well, yeah, anybody, to, anybody to who's taken you know, 10 grams of psilocybin or, or gone on plant medicine, you, like, you go deep into a world where there are things that feel like demons, otherworldly spirits. Sometimes it's yeah. kind of dark. Like you have to be careful yeah. with that type of stuff. And I, I think just plant medicine alone, anybody who's experienced that demonstrates the existence of some kind of fourth dimension, some kind of yeah. spirit world that exists all around us mm-hmm. while we're living in this physical dimension. And yeah, I mean, I mean, the the fact that some religions have identified some of that stuff to be potentially associated with demonic activity or you know possession or people becoming really strange or you know even you know people you know becoming bipolar or murdering or you know whatever the case may be, I think there is something to it. I think you have to be very careful, yeah. you know, messing with that stuff. At the same time, if you go into those type of scenarios in the right set and setting with the proper intention, union with God, good relationships, etc it can be a way to deepen connectivity to God, yeah. to yeah. learn things about yourself that you might not have learned if you hadn't dissolved your ego in that way. And, you know, again, I think that 
for people who are in a dark place that those type of substances can just shift you into an even more dark place, but used responsibly, you know, when you're ready for them in the, in the right place spiritually, those can enhance your connection to God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Jehovah's Witness faith, you would be, you know, shunned if you were practicing Reiki. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, or, or yoga even. Yeah, even yoga. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, which is crazy because like even in the Bible, you know, the the, the lady, I, I I don't recall if she had leprosy or she had some kind of like a blood flow issue, but she touched the hem of Jesus's garment, right, as, was as he healed walked instantly, by yeah. and was healed instantly. And for a Christian to frown upon Riki and yeah, accept the fact that someone could have touched the hem of Jesus's garment yeah. and through this invisible energy been healed, there's a little bit of a paradox there, mm-hmm. in my yeah. opinion. Well, what I like about all of this is what we're talking about here is life is more beautiful when you can't explain everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because if you can explain everything, what is that? That's a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and, and I've never seen art developed in a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. You could, but it would you'd be using Excel in a way that it's not intended. Mm-hmm. If you're using Microsoft Excel in the way that it's intended, you're not creating art. You're merely cataloging. And, and so... Creating is not the same thing as as cataloging. We need to also understand that there are all these other things we can't e- explain. Uh, Excel is is two dimensional, but life is three or sometimes four dimensional, right. and and we we have to keep that in mind. We have a question from Tyler: How can our perceived obligations be mitigated by setting boundaries? How do our boundaries help limit the mental and emotional clutter we take on? So this is fascinating from the author of Boundless. One of my favorite <laughs> books is a book called called Boundaries. Ba- boundaryless. And <laughs> uh, in fact, in order to be boundless, though, you have to set up some boundaries in your life. Mm. And, 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 and I like to make a distinction here. You can have boundaries without erecting a fence. We all have some boundaries. You have a door on your apartment. Yeah. That is a boundary. Mm-hmm. And it's actually polite to have those boundaries because it keeps the people out that you want out. It allows the people to come in by opening the door to let them come in. So there are all types of boundaries. And by the way, your boundaries change as time changes as well. Just like you don't have the same house your entire life, you know, that you grew up in through through death. Your boundaries, your property boundary changes, and then also your your relational boundaries, your spiritual boundaries, all of these boundaries will change over time. But it seems to me, Ben, that you're really good at setting up boundaries so that you can be boundless. Yes, I say no to a lot, and it is very difficult when I come to a place like Los Angeles, where mm. we're at now, because you arrive here and your phone blows up because there's just so many more people and so many more potential meetups and grab a coffee here, mm. and we're going to go to dinner here tonight. No, you got to check out this new biohacking facility, or I've got this you know new workout gym that you got to go take part in, and you could spend your entire day just doing, doing, doing all of these things. And They're all good yeah, things. Yeah. yeah, I spent four hours in my hotel room yesterday, and and there were ten things. I there was a hike I got invited on. There was a recovery facility. Another place wanted me to come do some IV injections. This other guy wanted to have lunch. A local physician. I said no to every single one, mm. and I was in my hotel room. I spent three hours working on an article that comes out this Sunday. And then I practiced my guitar for an hour. Mm. And and I guarantee that that process of creation, uh, making music, practicing music, that I can go home and play for my children, 
was in the long run, I think far more fulfilling and poured more meaning into my life compared to, you know, jetting about town on an Uber mm -hmm. because I simply say, yes, yes. Oh, opportunity. Opp what if I turn down this one FOMO here, FOMO there, but I, I say no a lot. As a matter of fact, I I'm pretty much one of those hell yes guys. I, I only partake in the things that are hell yeses for me. Yeah. And admittedly, I get FOMO when I see the photos on Instagram of the dinner party I was supposed to be at, but I was at home reading a, reading a, you know, a, a book to prepare for a podcast that I was going to, you know, be interviewing someone for the following week. Yeah. You, you do feel like, oh man, I wonder what I missed out on. You know, I wonder what they ate and what jokes I missed and, and, you know, who was there that I, you know, if you're single, you know, maybe I missed hanging out with this person who was a, you know, I could potentially go out with, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But by setting up those boundaries, by only saying yes to the hell yeses, I've found that it's freed me up to be more of a producer, more of a creator, and also have that time to make myself a better human. And if your life is going at such a rapid pace because you haven't set up those kind of boundaries and you have no time for self-development, then there are some definite ties that need to be cut and some no's that need to be said because you can literally say yes all day long in our day and age mm -hmm. and spend your entire day just frittering life away and perhaps not even fulfilling your true purpose in life. I, lo I love what you said, Josh, about how some of these boundaries are actually polite. So when we think about setting up boundaries, we don't have to feel bad. We can actually feel good about setting up these boundaries because everything that you say no to, uh, what you end up doing is saying yes to that which matters most in your life. And that is uh, it's good for you, but it's also good for the people around you. And it's also polite in that, let's say he said yes to one of these things. It seems like a good opportunity. These all sound like good opportunities, yeah. but then he doesn't want to be there. That's meta inconsiderate. That's impolite mm. in, in the sort of meta way because you, you've gone and done something to placate someone. Whereas right. if you would have set up the appropriate boundaries, so the, the boundaries are important as long as you're setting the boundaries up around the things that need the boundary. You mentioned mm -hmm. the writing and the guitar playing. That's what you set the boundary around last night. And I think it's it's important to, to recognize here that by saying no to all of those other things, it's not that like, well, I'm just going to say no to everything I don't want to do. That's not good enough because those are all things you would like to do if you had an infinite amount of time, mm. but you don't. Right. And there are, there are sometimes opportunities that seem like that, like you might get a lot of pleasure and enjoyment out of that you say no to that you can still kind of get little pieces of like a perfect example. Yeah. Two nights ago, a couple of physicians wanted to have me out for dinner and I knew it would be like a three hour dinner and, you know, meet them. We have a good conversation, et cetera. But I also knew I had a big day the next day. There was some journaling I wanted to do. I wanted to do my evening meditation practice, which rarely takes place after I've had a, a nighttime dinner. There was a book I wanted to get through. I actually went to a, a restaurant that I've been wanting to try a burger and fries from, this place called Bel Campo. Oh, oh yeah. So, so good. Yeah. Avocado and the tallow fries. Yes. Caught an Uber over there. Got a burger. Spent 20 minutes outside listening to an audiobook, eating the burger with a big smile on my face, went back home, uh, started into my journaling, my meditation, my book writing. It, had a, it was incredibly pleasurable 20 minutes mm -hmm. for me, right? And, mm -hmm. and I kind of scratched that itch to get out and do something, but I said... I said no to the opportunity that would have taken up a lot more time because really all I wanted to do was like 
have a good meal to put a smile on my face then get back to to meaningful shit i didn't mm. want to sit for three hours in a conversation so sometimes you can find little things like scratch that itch of of that dopamine rush you get from an activity yeah and then just get back to work like everything i guess what i'm saying is every single activity doesn't have to be epic like yeah. just you know inject little amounts of pleasure in here and there and it becomes a lot easier to say no to the to these great big things that are honestly in the long run tend to be kind of time consuming there's something there about you being able to identify what you needed was to get out and just get something to eat and get right. out of the hotel for a little bit right, exactly. because yeah there might be an opportunity where yeah it's this big grandiose event but really what's at the root of it right and do you need to spend all that time doing that thing or is there just a piece of it that you can do yeah right. i like Having that coffees all day long you can do that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we answered half of Tracy's question here. I have a problem with FOMO, especially since we are in such a comparison culture. So you talked about FOMO a little bit, but there is this additional piece of FOMO that has to do with comparison. And and, and I think FOMO here in, in Tracy's instance, what she's saying is how do we prioritize what really matters most? So we, we answered that for the most part. But let's talk about comparison here because mm. it becomes so dangerous. Our, our friend Rachel Cruz, Dave Ramsey's daughter, um, she wrote a book uh, about comparison, yeah. and and what I think what, what is so dangerous about comparison is it's these these cultural beliefs that become thrust upon us, and we think that the cultural preferences are now our preference. But it's often the opposite. Mm. What the culture prefers is making us miserable. And yet, if I let it go, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on what the culture is presenting to me. Yeah. Yep. If you look at, at Bronnie Ware's book uh, about the dying, you know, the regrets of the dying, or her, yeah. you can even read the article for free online, The Five Regrets of the Dying. You know, we briefly touched on that earlier, but one is, I wish that I'd been my true authentic self, not who I thought that the world expected me to be. Others are, you know, I wish I'd have chosen to be more happy. I wish I'd stayed in touch with old friends. Um, there, there's a, a couple of others, but that, that first one, you know, wanting to be who you think the world expects you to be, really the, the FOMO is often sparked by social media, by you seeing people out having a good time doing things, you thinking you need to be a part of that entire process. And even though everything deep down inside of you, if you really just sit quietly with yourself, wants to, you know, this would be the case for me. I really want to just be at home and learn how to play You're Beautiful on my guitar and sing so that when I get home to my wife, I can break out my guitar and sing her this wonderful song. And that's going to be the most deep, meaningful shit that I could do this whole week. If you really clearly identify what deep down in your gut is the hell yes, you'll realize that just about everything else when it comes to FOMO is you being who the world expects you to be Mm. versus being who your true authentic self is being called to be. It's going to be different for everybody, but I think a big part of it is just slowing down, self-examining, being fully present with yourself and simply asking yourself, just close your eyes, take a deep breath. What do I truly desire? And what is actually going to make me happy or allow me to fully live out my purpose right now? And in many cases, it's not the party. It's not the coffee. It's not the big dinner. It's just you fulfilling your life's purpose in a deep and meaningful way. Yeah. There's something about comparison too that can just kill all the joy. It's like you bring up the song beautiful and you learn it, you go and sing it to your wife. But you know, if you were to compare your version versus like the original, you might kill that joy of you learning that song. Uh, And maybe it's more beautiful because it's, it's your version of it. But uh, anytime we start to compare ourselves to others, it can it can just take away the joy in general. 
Right. And, and I, I would, I would reframe it this way. Let's make up a new acronym, right? Instead of FOMO, it's JOMO, the joy of missing out, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, you're missing out and it's an inner fist pump because while everybody is off, you know, drinking cocktails and having shallow dinner conversation, you are actually doing something deep and meaningful and impactful that's going to change the world. And you can actually find a certain amount of, of joy in that. So there's a little, little bit of, of JOMO that you can tap into mm-hmm. and replace the FOMO with. Yeah. Let's finish up with one question here from Northern Nutter. Northern Nutter, how do you stay productive and keep yourself accountable without falling into a cycle of negative self-talk when progress is slow or derailed? I mean, this hmm. is progress often operates in a sine wave, so there'll be peaks and valleys, and and there are moments of drudgery. Even when you really enjoy writing, you love facing that blank page, you love getting into the flow state. There are times, especially when everything's coming together, you're trying to connect the pieces, where there will be moments of drudgery. And to me, that's actually a sign that it's working. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a, real, a little bit about reframing what you're doing so that you understand that there are signs that it's not working, that you're pacifying yourself, you're distracting yourself, you're, you're, you're going over to social media or whatever. But there are other signs where it becomes difficult, just like climbing the mountain becomes difficult. Mm-hmm. That's the drudgery. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say three things that come to mind in this scenario would be A, accept incremental improvements as Mm. small as those might be there were days where i would just write 200 words in boundless but not a single day went by where i did not have a rule that i had to create something even if it was one single sentence Mm. okay so some days progress will be small some days progress will be great but celebrate the small wins give yourself permission to make small amounts of progress you know even if it's you don't have time to work out that day but at the end of every hour you're going to drop and do 30 push-ups those add up Mm. by the end of the day Uh, The next is to create an environment that allows you to feel joy when the progress might seem like drudgery, right? For me, my environment's kind of weird. I actually like to flip on the red lights in my office and the essential oils and the walking treadmill and feel like, oh, you know what? I... I'm having a hard time today making progress, but look, my body and my brain are getting all cared for as I'm doing this. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quote optimizing unquote, and the environment that I've surrounded myself with is actually delivering me some joy. And, and for for some people, that might be going to their favorite coffee shop and just having that that hum and getting to sip on you know your favorite drink while you're making that small progress. Mm-hmm. For others, it might be you know as an author, maybe putting yourself in, in a nature environment and you know shifting to a place where you can see the trees while you're working out or mm-hmm. or, or while you're working or you're in a park or whatever, but change the environment so that progress is not, you know, in a small dark room facing a laptop or, you know, or just hunched over, banging away, sitting in a chair, right? So change the environment. And then finally, celebrate every single time that you progress, right? So mm-hmm. so every time you pro- – maybe it is, okay, at the end of this very long day, I'm making myself a big old ribeye steak on the grill. That's my carrot on the end of the stick. Or when I finish all of this, I get to go for a 45-minute hike in the park. Or um, I'm telling my kids that tonight we're going to play canasta or hearts and we're going to have a big cards tournament. But before then, I need to make this progress and I'm going to get rewarded at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I would say incremental improvements – Make your environment fun so that while you're engaged in progress, there's a little bit of fuel on the fire, and then celebrate every single day that you've made progress. Yeah, That's a great place to end it. Ben, we love you, brother. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you, guys. You're amazing. And I, I This time, I don't know if I have in the past, but I did get the black T-shirt memo. I love it. Or the black <laughs> it's, t-shirt. it's the key on so black it, T-shirt. It, is, it yeah. is the key on T-shirt, yes. And I even got black shoes on, so I'm I'm pretty pretty minimalist. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Love everything you do. Likewise. And um, it's always a pleasure. Amen. Likewise, brother. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you, patrons. The Minimalists. Mm-hmm. <laughs>